Welcome to the Answers from Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Lalone. In each episode, you'll hear from leaders across the world. You'll hear their struggles, their thoughts on leadership, and a parting word of wisdom from each guest. Are you ready to hear Answers from Leadership? I hope you are, because it's coming at you right now. Welcome to episode 31 of the Answers from Leadership podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible.com. For you, the listeners of Answers from Leadership, Audible is offering a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com answers. I recently finished listening to How to Stay Motivated, Developing the Qualities of Success by Zig Ziglar. Listening to Zig talk about motivation was refreshing and what I needed recently. I'd highly recommend you check out this audiobook with your free trial. Today we welcome Steve Armstrong to the Answers from Leadership podcast. Through the lessons learned from 35 years as a leader, soldier, and humanitarian, Steve has honed his insights and leadership skills and unique ability to inspire and teach others to lead. He is one of only a handful of people in Canada who has planned and managed the relief and recovery responses and maintained complex business continuity function for the following. The recent 2016 Fort McMurray wildfires, the 2013 Alberta floods, the 2011 Slave Lake fires, the 2004 tsunami, the 2003 blackout, the 2003 British Columbia firestorms, the September 11th terrorist attacks, and leading soldiers in military operations. Steve also has his master's degree in public policy and management and lives in Calgary with his patient and understanding wife, Deborah. Steve, is there anything else you want listeners to know about you today? Well, I think it'll come out in the conversation, Joe, but, uh, you know, a couple of things is uh, I, after a 22-year Army career with the Canadian Army, as a retiring as a company sergeant major, and then another career with the Canadian Red Cross, um, I spent the last two or three years really getting into teaching and developing uh, how you how people can become better leaders. And with a kind of a niche into this weird market of intellectually and technically brilliant people that nobody ever taught how to lead, but yet there they are, a boss. You said that you're you're now teaching these leaders. What does leadership look like to you? Well, that's a great question. I think um, it's not a bunch of old middle uh, old dead white guy quotes, which I think people kind of think that it often is. To me, um, leadership is actually accomplishing something, and and the leadership skills then come from motivating and engaging people and 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 getting them to move something forward. So, you know, it's relatively more or less easy in an organization like the military or the Red Cross or another organization like that where the where the goal is hopefully honorable and humanitarian and noble. But even in corporations, like it's like if you're not successful as a leader in a company, then your company goes out of business and people lose their jobs and you arguably lose your investment. So if you're not actually getting things done, you're not leading. And the rest, to me, are all the tools you use to bring people along and connect them to with what you're getting done. So I have a, maybe a different perspective on it than, than some. Right, yeah, you know, you typically get the answer, well, leadership is influence. Yeah. Yours no. seems to be more along in getting things done. Yeah. It's compl- you know, in the military, the term is the mission is paramount. How, how, you have to get your job done. You have to achieve whatever it is your your goals are. How you get that done is open for some conversation and 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 some nuance. But 
you're not getting something done. You're not, you're not being a leader. We went over your accomplishments, you know, with the response in Canada and the relief and recovery responses that you've, you've helped lead. Can you share some of your experiences in helping with those disasters and leading in those times? Yeah. So there's two things I would say. One is, uh, is to be very clear about what you're there to do and making sure all everybody is connected to that. And when I say connected, it's like explaining in simple language what, what their part of the operation is and how they're going to help make it successful. And mostly as, as the leader in those situations, um, even through my military career and my humanitarian career, is often, you, you know what, you state the objective, but you have to trust that people will get it done and move it forward. Because, for example, um, one of these big fires that we've had out here in Alberta, you know, I, I had large and small and larger teams spread out over a, a province of, you know, that goes from the 49th parallel to basically to the 60th parallel. It takes about 20 hours to drive from one end of the province to the other. And I had people scattered out over the whole area. I had to be able to tell them what we were there to get done. And I had to make sure that they, I, they trusted me to look after them and that I trusted them to do their job. A lot of it's trust, Joe. Really, it is. Like, and, and the other big thing around that is that if someone's done a good job, then that's good enough. I can't be micromanaging these people or they will stop working and doing what they need to get done. So I have to trust that they're going to do a job. It might not be the way I did it, and that's okay. We can have that conversation later. But they need to be freed and empowered to do the work to meet our objectives. And that's sort of what I tied back to what I said earlier about um, you're not accomplishing something. Well, they need to know what you're trying to accomplish. So they're always moving forward to that. I think a lot of leaders struggle with communicating clearly what they want done. How have you gone about that? Hmm. Um, well, there's a great example of a, of a, a there's a small plane crashed into Lake Ontario, actually near you, near Windsor, uh, across the river from Detroit. And, uh, or, and the, when the plane crashed, uh, actually the Ontario Provincial Police were responsible for the incident. And uh, it was one of the first times I actually saw this outside the military. The uh, duty inspector from the police department actually wrote on the big whiteboard that our mission is to recover the casualties, uh, investigate the accident, and treat the families with the utmost respect. And he was, and, and so once you started getting a little bit off track, you just made focus on your on the mission. That you that was your job there to do. Whatever part you had to play in that, that was cool. But that was the overall objective. I believe, firmly believe that as a leader, your first job is to make sure that. Let me step back a bit. What often what leaders will do, or people in leadership roles will do, will tell their direct reports what they want done, and then it cascades. Hopefully, it cascades down. Um, that's not acceptable because it's like that old school trick where you whisper in somebody's ear in the circle and by the time it comes, the message comes around through the whole circle, it's a completely different story, right? Your job as a leader is to be out there talking and walking and being with your people and ensuring that they actually understand what's happening. So in a manufacturing plant, if I was in charge of a manufacturing plant, I'd be walking the shop floor. And these are the kind of questions that you should be asking is, what are you doing? Not how are you doing? Because everyone will say fine. You ask them what they're doing and, and, and why do they understand why they're doing it? And you'll get a pretty interesting perspective. 
And then you got to go back. You need to be respectful to the chain of command and the people that are responsible there. But then you start making sure that the communicate lines are connect- connected. So if, for example, I'm a manufacturing plant and my objective is uh, you need to connect it in a way that's con- uh, understandable to the people on the shop floor. So it's like we want to close this deal and we want to provide that customer with the best possible product we can and and. And then that feeds into the overall success of our company. It becomes tangible. It becomes understandable to the people on the shop floor. And they know that they're part of that, turning out this awesome product. And I did that with Red Cross. We run a a, a medical loan equipment program in Alberta. And some people that work for us and some of our volunteers, some of the lowest paid people in the organization were maintaining uh, mobility and bathing aids for invalids and people recovering. And quite frankly, a part of their job was actually to clean human crap off of toilet seats. Well, it's not a very honorable job if you look at it that way. But if you explain it, that they're actually providing safe sanitary equipment so people could either die or heal in dignity, all of a sudden their job becomes important. Yeah, it gives that sense of meaning for the employees. I mean, yeah. you, know, you, you think, you know, you come in and you do your job, even meaningful work can sometimes begin to feel routine and you're just like, I'm punching the clock again. Yeah. But, you know, by reinforcing that meaning, you know, I love the Red Cross example of you're giving people dignity, finding that, that ex, you know, that exact purpose of the job. It's just right. you know, critical. And explaining to and talking to them and, 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 and explaining individually, not in an email blast. <laughs> like, like I get it. Some organizations are large and it's harder to do, but you know what? You go out and you do your best. And if you talk to every second or every fifth person, the message will start to spread. But it's your job as the leader to be sending that message out, not cascading it through a convoluted communication system. I hate, actually, I've got to the point in my career and life, Joe, where I hate the term uh, communications. You know, talk to people. <laughs> yeah. Have a conversation. Don't communicate, for God's sakes. Don't communicate with people. Talk to them. An email doesn't necessarily communicate what you want to communicate. No. You have to make sure, you know, communication is making sure someone knows what you're trying to tell them. Yeah, it's and understand. Not just getting the message to them. Yeah. You know, Getting them the point, and yeah, yeah and, and and test it, test it in the military. That when you get your orders on an operation, the commanding officer always asks you to repeat back your portion of the instruction, so he knows that you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good good way to make sure to yeah to ensure okay. the message has gone through. Yeah, I want to go back to some of the responses that you've done. You know, wildfires, plane crashes; those are some scary things. Mm-hmm. Were you scared while facing these challenges? Oh, I guess so. Like, you know, to be honest, sure. Like, but, but to be fair, outside of the military, and uh, certainly with Red Cross, seldom was I in direct, personally was in direct harm's way. But there's a, scared probably isn't the word I would use. I would say there's a, maybe even a, a fear uh, if I was scared that, you know, somebody would, the clients or somebody that would be impacted by that disaster, you know, the residents of a community uh, were not being treated properly or were put in harm's way because of something that we did. And some of these big fires, like I had people traveling all over the province here 
Um, and I didn't know where they were, and there was wildfires burning around out there. I was actually, a couple times, I was actually pretty worried about just what the heck was happening out there because I didn't know. And some, there's great swaths of sort of northern Canada that there is cell phone services, but a hope and a dream. So, you know, there, there were people that were potentially put in harm's way that I had no idea what was going on out there. I was worried about them. I was scared worried and afraid or scared of what might potentially happen then but i in my life i've learned somehow maybe it's my character maybe it's just experiences like i focus on the mission and and i worry about you know my own personal foibles and concerns afterwards like i get focused and i know what i have to do and then i'm fine that's i keep my eye on the ball so you you, you know if you were quote unquote scared it was more so for your people or the people you were helping yeah yeah i was never worried about i was never even worried about uh my career or you know my work you know it was that was secondary it was like make sure we're doing the right things for the right reasons and make sure nobody gets hurt or killed there's only one job in certainly in canada likely in the united states that your job is is potentially is part of your job description is that there's a Good, there's outside chance you could get killed, and that's in the military. Other than that, nobody should be getting killed over their work. <laughs> like, like that's stupid. I know what happens, uh, but that's that's not your job. I like how you're you are concerned about the people you're leading. You know, it just shows you realize that leadership goes beyond you, and you know you're responsible. I, I think it even goes back to what we first began talking about: is your results. Yeah, at leading the response teams, you're. One of your key results should be getting your people home safe. Yeah. Well, and they're not going to work for you. If they think you're being cavalier with their safety or, or their lives or, or that of their families or something, um, you know what? They're not going to do the best work. They're going to pull back. And, you know, I, I've seen it, in, and there's ton truckloads of history in the world about military units that their commanding officers and their officers didn't demonstrate uh, care and concern for the well-being of their soldiers that the soldiers stopped working for them. And so people are worried that you're not looking after their best interests, be it in combat, be it in a disaster, or even in a workplace, an office or a manufacturing facility. If the people don't think that their bosses care for them or aren't looking out for them, then they're not going to do good work. They're not connected. We talked about connecting and communicating our message and our purpose for working. Mm -hmm. What are some ways that a leader can show that he cares for his people? Well, I think uh, a couple. Uh, One is... Uh, we talked about earlier, is to connect them to the organization and the mission and the objectives of the organization in a very simple, articulate way. The other way uh, is is to show a, uh, a high level of trust and confidence in, in them, and in return you will get that back. So explaining what's happening, like I, I think most leaders, um, not necessarily because of ill will or because they're worried about it is they don't want to they don't want to worry anybody so they're not going to tell the full truth about what's happening around them um and one of my consultancies recently there was uh because of economic reasons they were laying off people at the end of jobs there wasn't enough work and but they stopped telling people what was happening and why it was happening why people were being laid off fundamentally they're being laid off because the project ended and there was no work um, but people started seeing this because the president and the people in charge had stopped communicating that, and they started seeing people just disappear, basically. 
And the rest of the staff still thought the company was in big trouble. And that was starting to circle, circle around the toilet a little bit as it was going down the drain. But really, the company was solid. Financially, it was solid. They were still making a profit. They had good sales, decent sales, and lots of potentials work in the pipeline. And so what I did was I coached the president to actually hold town halls and, and open up the books as much as he could to show this work that was happening to give people confidence that the company was solid. And the other, the third thing I would say, uh, in addition to connecting uh, people with the objectives and make sure they know, understand their work is important. And, and this level of openness, transparency, and honesty is empathy. Get off your butt, get out of your office and go see how people are working and ask them what's going on in, in their lives and in their workplace and, and show a little empathy for them. Um, people, so for example, if say, I don't know, I don't try, lost it a bit for a bit of an example, but I recall once that there was a young lady working for me and she was, we didn't, the organization Red Cross doesn't pay very well in the big scheme of things. And she was, had a chance to get a scholarship for a, um, become a nurse, get her bachelor's of nursing and she couldn't afford it. And so I helped her get a place to stay in Vancouver, which is about an hour and a half flight from here that, that she could afford to go for this interview. Well, I didn't have to do that, but trust me that the word got spread that I did that helped her with this. And all of a sudden people thought, well, if if they're going to do that for her, they'll, they'll help me out and morale goes up. So find out what's going on, fix the little problems, be empathetic with people. And, uh, and, and, and that's, it's, it's as equally simple as, and, and as complex as that. Yeah. And honestly, flying her out to, to her interview, that's a, a small cost in the grand scheme of things when you oh see how gosh. people react to it. Yeah. Yeah. I recall going, when I first took over my role last role with uh, the organization Red Cross was I went to one of our small rural, small community offices. It was, you know, and, uh, Two or three people working in a smaller community, maybe 30,000, 20,000 people. Anyway, I walked in there and they still had these big, gigantic, honking, uh, you'll know what the, they were, the big monitors, right? The ones that looked like, uh, what do they call CRTs? CRTs. CRT monitors that it took three men and a boy to move it around. Everybody, and I said, why are you guys using this stuff? Well, they won't get us. They won't get us. So I bought three flat screen monitors that about 150 bucks a pop. I couldn't have made those people any happier if I had bought them a Cadillac. Right. <laughs> In the big scheme of things, what's, what's 400 again? And what's another $400, $450, investment for these people to have a decent place to work and yeah. feel like somebody actually cared? Right. That, that sense of, hey, someone cares for me, then translates into, hey, I'm going to work harder for them. Yeah. I'm going to give them my best because they just yeah. gave, you know, they, they helped me out. Yeah. And when times get tough, people understand, like they get it that layoffs ha- potentially have to happen. Yeah. People are not stupid and they're not unrealistic, but don't treat people like so much trash and throw, kick them to the curb. Have a little class and a little dignity. Even if the guy's a bad guy, you've got to fire somebody because they're a bad, bad person stole or whatever it could be. You want to make sure that everybody else around sees that person being treated fairly and, and with respect because they're going to, they go, you know what? It's like the old line about, uh, 
you know, somebody opens their mouth in a meeting and a boss screams at them, everybody else doesn't know who's going to open their mouth up next. No, nobody. Nobody. (laughs) (laughs) So that translates into the, onto the shop floor or the rest of the office or the rest of the team is that, oh, they go, oh, you know what? They treated that guy pretty good. So maybe they'll look after me better. Oh, okay. I like this. This is all right. People pass away. Like, uh, I don't know. Really, it was against the rules, but I did it anyways. But I don't, so I don't care. But I would always send somebody, somebody's parent or somebody passed away. I'd always send flowers from the organization and the team for 30 bucks. Yeah. 30 bucks for a little bit of caring. Yeah. And it's something that no one would miss if you didn't do it. But if you do it, it's exponentially important to that person. All right. As we wrap up, what's one book that has impacted your leadership? Oh, my gosh. You know, I saw that question, Joe, and I struggled uh, to find the one book. So I, the one book that the one book that actually impacted, I would say there's two, but there's one book. And so there's a, there's a writer in Canada by the name of Pierre Burton. He's passed away now. He, and he wrote a book about the Canadian Army at Vimy Ridge in World War II. It was a, a terrific story. And in that book, what he talks about was how the British Army, uh, and this, I think it happened before the, uni- the United States went into war in World War I. The British Army would just march the Commonwealth, the Canadian, Australian, New Zealand soldiers, basically just uh, so much machine gun fodder. They would just, just march, basically march them. It to their death. And in this book, uh, called it's called Vimy, uh, V-I-M-Y, and it's a story of the Canadian Army at Vimy Ridge. And, and they talked about how the com- Canadian commanders of the time actually empowered soldiers, actually issued maps to the sar- down to sergeants and corporals. <laughs> and prior to that, that never happened. And they rehearsed what they were doing, and they connected. It goes back to sort of what we opened up with. They connected the average soldier with what the mission was, where they wanted to be, how they wanted to get there, which is common now in all modern armies. They do battle procedure and rehearsals, preparedness, and learn the map and learn the ground. But this was like a novel new idea in the World War One, And... uh and connected people with a larger thing, like how important that regiment was and the, and the battalion was and so on and so forth. And because of that, when the Canadians attacked Vimy Ridge, of course, commanders got killed because the Germans weren't going to make it easy for them. <laughs> that was their job. But because everybody knew what was going on and knew the, their role and knew what was to happen, they were actually accomplished something that was, was seen to be unaccomplishable, un, un which is not a word I understand, but but they were able to do it. So so that was actually um, very impactful for me as a uh, both as a Canadian pride story, but but as a leader and and how they were able to get this done. And the other book that more recent, obviously, than that would be Malcolm Gladwell's Tipping Point. There's a lot in that book about how people make decisions, how things go wrong and how things improve and the whole capacity of a leader to be able to manage a certain amount of people. And there's a great story in there. And I can't recall all the details about a company, I believe in the States that, that every time they get to a, they build a factory or a plant or an office and they have 150 parking spaces. And once they get to 150, they, they build a new 
operation because 100 to 150 is all a, a, a single leader can really get to know their people. It's a big, it's large enough that it, people are able to have pride and knowledge of everything that's going around. So this whole concept of a of a hundred, which really goes back to you know even the Romans, like a centurion was in charge of a hundred people, a hundred men in those days. So that was interesting too. That really that whole piece around uh, how things happen, the mistakes that happened, the capacity for people to understand until it tips over to the either good or bad. So I'd say those two books resonated with me a lot. If you could go back to your 20-year-old self, what do you wish you would have known then? Calm down. You're not that important. <laughs> and you're not as good as you think you are. That's some good advice. Yeah. Like when I was 20, I, 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 I get a kick out of, uh, uh, sometimes I'm frustrated by it, but I get a kick out of people talking about millennials and being self-centered and nobody was a more self-centered than I was when I was 20. <laughs> Nobody. I wanted the corner office. I wanted, I was as good as any sergeant major or drill sergeant that ever walked the face of the earth, man. Like, I was the best soldier that since Hannibal. Like, I could not get it through my head. I was not that important, and I was not that good. And I, and by saying that, I think one of the things I wish I'd appreciated more as a young leader and as an up-and-coming leader was, like, everybody has a value. Every, even though they're not as good as you think that they should be, they bring value to the organization and they need to be respected for that. I'm sure, I'm not sure nothing. I know I made decisions that impacted people terribly, that if I would have been a little bit, had a little more empathy and a little more compassion and a little more maturity to see that what they were, you know, maybe they were in the wrong place, maybe they were in the wrong job, but they still had a value and they should have been respected for it. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we, we go? No, we covered quite a bit of ground, Joy. Uh, uh, Joy, I would offer any of your listeners, if they go to stevenarmstrong.ca, S-T-E-V-E-N armstrong.ca, um, on the uh, on my homepage, they, they're, feel free. There's a free downloadable version of my book, You Can't Lead From Behind. I offer it to all of your uh, listeners and yourself, of course. And... Um, no, I. thanks for making me think. That was a great conversation. That's no, my pleasure. Um, <laughs> along with your website, is there any other places that listeners can connect with you? Oh, for sure. Drop me a line at any time at, at Steve at Stephen Armstrong. I'm, I'm completely open with that. But mostly, if you go through my website, there's a, a blog, a blog series of blogs. I, generally weekly, they come out. Um, a lot of background information and like I say my book is there that's probably the simplest way for them to reach out or just drop me a note well the, oh, I'll make sure I have the website linked up in the show notes yeah but yeah it's been great chatting with you today Steve well it was fun Joe thanks for making me I think that's the second time this week I love these conversations I hope you enjoyed today's answers from leadership podcast you can find the show notes for this episode at jmlalonde.com slash 031. If you found the information in this episode helpful, please share it with a friend who you think could benefit from Steve's message. Until next time, continue to lead well.